Welcome back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Kreider, the show that sets you up for lifelong financial success with actionable advice and personal stories to help you get yourself on track for the financial future that you are looking for. So when it comes to this show, show number 10 today, as, as we were getting to the double digits, you know, we're getting up there. We've been doing this for a couple months now. And I was sort of thinking about what I wanted this podcast to be. And really what it came down to is I want this podcast to be the podcast that I wanted to listen to. So the first podcast that I ever listened to was the Tim Ferriss show. So if you're not familiar, Tim Ferriss, this dude, uh, pretty famous. He wrote a book called The 4-Hour Workweek that sort of set him off on his current trajectory. And he, on his podcast, he interviews people who are the best at what they do. So I was really inspired by this. And I think with this podcast, what I really want to do is I want to interview interesting people that are doing really cool stuff at a young age, because I think this is a market that is very, very underserved right now. I don't think there is a podcast in this space interviewing young people who are doing cool stuff financially and entrepreneurially. So that's what I want this show to be. And that's what this show is going to be going forward. So for the next three episodes, at least I've got some crazy, awesome guests lined up. So be sure to stay tuned for those. This one is amazing. Um, I'm really, really excited for this. This interview one of the best that I've done so far, I believe. Um, so I'm really excited for you guys to hear this. Who we're interviewing today is Cody Berman of Arsenal Discs. So if you're not familiar, Arsenal Discs is a disc golf company. They create discs to use in disc golf. Um, so we're interviewing him today. He started this business actually when he was a junior in college and he actually just graduated last winter. So we're gonna interview him on basically what he thinks about starting a business in college, what advice he would give to young people who are thinking about maybe doing the same, how to figure out if starting a business might be the right choice for you, how to go about marketing said business, especially in college, how do you reach that audience that you're looking for, how do you use Facebook ads, how much money you need to invest, all of these things we're gonna be covering today, but um, I don't wanna waste any more of your time because I'm really excited for this interview, so let's just hop on over and talk to Cody. Let's welcome him into Young Smart Money today. All right, Cody, welcome to the show. Could you just give the audience a little bit of a background on yourself in case I'm not familiar with you or what you do? So I'm mostly just thinking like what stage of life you're in, where you're from, just your background in general. Yeah, so I'm from Massachusetts. I just graduated in December, I actually graduated a semester early so I could go travel abroad for six months in Australia. Uh, I'm coming back. Uh, so we're recording this on July 3rd. I actually start work, like my first W2 full-time job on the 9th. So that's in Dang. six days. So th wow. that's, that's where I'm at in life right now. I'm sure we're going to hop into some of my side hustles and entrepreneurship ventures uh, later in the podcast. But yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at right now in life. So Cool, cool. Making some big steps. That that sounds like a great trip you took. Um, definitely want to hear more about that at some point, but um, let's just get right into this. So in this show, our main focus is going to be on starting a business in college as you did and as we're going to get into. Um, and I understand that you did just that. So can you tell our listeners just a little bit about what the business that you started while you're in college actually does? Yeah. So just for a background for people who don't know what disc golf is, it's basically like ball golf, except instead of hitting a ball into a hole with a club, you're throwing a plastic disc into what's called a basket or a, it's a metal fixture with chains. And it's, it's basically the same concept. There's birdies, pars, 18 holes, pretty much all the same rules, just different tools. 
All right. So the same thing as like Frisbee golf, right? Like Frisbee yes. golf, disc golf, synonymous. Okay, cool. Yes, they're synonymous. Yes. I guess it just depends what region you're from. I, I've actually heard a lot of people from your regions call it Frisbee golf, but people up here uh, don't call it Frisbee golf. You get made fun of if you're saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Okay. So yeah. Um, so basically, I guess the idea for the business started. So my uncle actually owns a disc golf course. He's right down the street from me. So I've been playing since I was about seven or eight. Wow. And... I kind of just wanted to get into entre entrepreneurship. I kind of was always an entrepreneur at heart, like just selling things like back when Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh cards were cool. <laughs> oh, I was yeah. like selling those when I, on the bus in like fifth grade and stuff like that. Yep. So I kind of always had this spirit to me. And then I read the uh, four hour work week actually by Tim Ferriss. Mm -hmm. And it made me just really want to pursue a side hustle. So I had two failed businesses before this Arsenal Discs kind of became successful. And that was a tutoring company and a custom t-shirt company. Both those kind of fell through from lack of effort and just didn't have the right systems in place. But then my junior year of college, me, so I have a finance and economics background. So I kind of took on the marketing and like tactical business side of the venture. And then I have a mechanical engineering friend who was actually designing these discs. So he was going in on the computer on these different complicated systems. I have no idea how to operate. And so that was a really strategic partnership because I couldn't do the things he was doing and he couldn't do a lot of the things I was doing. Um, so yeah, just uh, trying to just get everything into one. But yeah, basically the initial idea for the disc golf kind of stemmed from that me playing and being in the community since I was seven or eight. I kind of saw a gap in the market where a lot of these companies are kind of just these monsters that in terms of size, they're these giant companies that kind of had clunky old websites. You could tell it was kind of maybe an older older businessmen uh, running them. And I was like, you can, we can bring something fresh, something new, something like, uh, you just see, you see all the new websites like Uber, Amazon, like those types of disruption mm -hmm. systems. They have such good websites, such easy interfaces. And we're like, we can do that for disc golf. So yeah, we just, we kind of dove right in. Um, we thought we'd be able to just get everything done. And long story short, it was a lot more work than we anticipated a manufacturing of oh, physical product from scratch. <laughs> I bet. I mean, it didn't always. <laughs> um, all right. So that's really cool. Um, I definitely already learned a lot about like this golf and how that even works just because I'm not super familiar with that. Um, but my next question, um, you sort of uh, got into this a little bit, but I was just wondering if you had the idea that you were going to start something for a while. Like you said, you grew up pretty entrepreneurially um, selling Pokemon cards and stuff. But um, what what got you? I guess we'll we'll take it back to the first business you started. I don't know if that was the tutoring or the um, the t-shirt company. But back to the first one, what what got you to actually like start something to like sit down and actually like create a business? What was like the driving force behind that? Yeah, so it was mostly from the four hour work week, reading about that, and just the draw to having like passive or at least semi passive income where you're not just trading your time on like a one to one linear basis with money. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you work four hours and you get $12 an hour, you have $48. Like you work five hours to set this system up and it pays you for the next X number of years. That idea was just insane to me that you could kind of set up like these passive income streams. So yeah, my ideas for like the t-shirt company, I mean, it's a pretty intuitive. I'd like you'd set up your t-shirts, set up a website, and then you'd sell them in not perpetuity, but you'd probably mm -hmm. get a lot more sales out of your time than like just working dollars for hours. Same with yeah. the tutoring thing. I was going to like scale it up and hire tutors. I had this like mm -hmm. master plan. It just didn't, help. <laughs> it didn't, it just didn't uh, go well because I, I didn't really put the effort in. And I kind of just thought that 
it would just it would fall into my lap. But you really do if you want a successful business. I'm sure you know from doing mm-hmm. podcasting and videos and stuff like that. Like it does take a lot of work to have something successful and something that stands out. Um. So what got you to putting the extra effort on the third time around? Was there was there an event that happened to you? Was it just the first two not going well that you were like, wow, I really got to make this one work? Was it having the passion of having disc golf as a part of your life? Like, what do you think made the difference there between the first two and the third business? Yeah. So I I think, yeah, the way you put it was really good. Um, I think that my connection with disc golf itself just made me like really motivated and just being able to create this physical product, like this disc that I could throw and hold in my hand, that was a huge driving factor. I was like, this is going to be so cool. Yeah. And just like, as you know, something you're really passionate about is, is a lot easier to talk about than if I were to go start a cooking show, because I'm not like a, I'm not a great cook. I mean, I'm all right, but it's not something that it's not something I'm really passionate about. And so that would be really hard for me to one, just devote hours and hours into late hours of the night working on. And two, I mean, it just, I don't know. I wouldn't be able to find business partners. I just feel like I wouldn't connect with people in that community as well. And so the other factor was that I had a business partner. So it's not like I'm just letting myself down. If I fail, I'm letting someone else down too. So if I start slacking, I start not picking up my end of the workload, then I'm going to leave my business partner screwed and he's, he's going to have to pick it up. So I guess that was another big reason I didn't want to leave him in the dust. All right, cool. I think, I think that is really important to have first, the first thing you said was to have passion and to really care about what you're doing. And I think having that emotional connection that you had with disc golf, I think personally, I've tried a bunch of things, um, whether, I mean, just like random side hustles online, um, that I don't even need to get into, but uh, I found that the ones that I didn't really care about, the ones that I didn't have a real connection to, um, they fell off very quickly. They didn't They didn't take off. They didn't get very big. I didn't scale them very much just because I didn't have the passion behind them. Because with a lot of things like these systems that you're talking about that you have to set up, there's a lot of work that you have to put in up front where you're not seeing much, if any, money at all. And if you don't care about what you're doing, then it's really hard for you to stick with that um, and push through all this stuff that you don't actually care about just to get to potentially a money machine someday. But again, like with your tutoring and your t-shirt business, if you weren't super passionate about that, like it's hard to actually get to the money machine stage if you're not willing to push through stuff that hopefully you do enjoy. So I think that's really important. And now I want to get into your experience with a business partner because personally, I have never done, I've never gone into any venture. I've never started anything with a business partner before. So I'm very interested to hear what your experience was with that. So first question I have is, did you know that from the get-go, like when you first started Arsenal Discs, did you have the idea in your head of having a business partner or were you already partway through when somebody else joined on? How did that work? Yeah. So it was pretty much right from the very beginning that we kind of partnered up because I did not have the skills needed in order to actually make these discs. Like I didn't have the engineering background and you really do need an engineering background to build the product from scratch because you have to build these computer aided designs and then run them through all these tests and stuff like that. So it was mostly just a skills gap that I thought I could fill his skills gap and he could fill my skills gap. And so, yeah, it was from day one that we kind of linked up and formed the partnership. Cool. I think that's a really powerful partnership to have between like an entrepreneur and a technician, just because the entrepreneur can have like the plans, maybe like the marketing skills and stuff. And the technician can actually go out and do the sciency and mathy stuff um, that some of us aren't so inclined to do. Um, 
So did you did you meet your business partner in school? Is that where you guys connected? So we were actually friends back from like middle and high school. And oh, wow. we kind of didn't have a falling out, but I just didn't talk to him maybe for like a year or two in college. Mm-hmm. But we, were, we were still friends, but then I just, I just kind of hit him up junior year and told him about this venture. I remember I called him at, it was one in the morning because I was so excited <laughs> about it. And we talked for like two hours and then we're like, all right, we're doing this. And wow, yeah, just from that day on, we just kind of just kept pushing forward. So you guys create all of your own discs or do you like send off the models to some like manufacturer? How does that work? Yeah. So, I mean, we don't have like the, it's called an injection molding machine that you, how you actually make the disc. Those are like $200,000. So no, we don't have, (laughs) we don't have any of those in like our garage or something. So basically like the process works. So my business partner, Jim, he'll build the CAD file, which is that computer aided design. So it's literally like a digital file of the, of the disc. Mm -hmm. Then we send it to our prototyping company. They send it back. If we like it, then we're gonna we stick with it. If not, we send we send them a new CAD file. They send us that. Once we get the prototype we like, then we order the mold, which is this big steel block with the shape of the disc in the middle. Mm-hmm. And so once we get the mold, then we bring that to our manufacturer. So there's three parts in this: the prototyper, the mold manufacturer, and then the disc manufacturer. Jeez. Yeah. So after we get the molds, then we get them shipped to our manufacturing facility. So these are people who specialize in like making plastic pieces mm-hmm. they will so yeah so they'll receive those big metal blocks and they're the ones who do the manufacturing for us and then after that there's a lot of like quality control we have to go in make sure they're meeting all our specifications and meeting the guidelines of the disc golf industry um so yeah there's a lot of moving parts but it took a while to get a, a, it took a while to get used to and just get a hang of the ropes but we're doing all right now. <laughs> wow, that's that's a lot of back and forth, like between all those different people, all the different players involved. That's that's a lot of work. Um, how how did you figure out how the industry actually worked? How did you figure out even what all these steps were in the first place? Yeah, I mean, it was honestly trial and error. Like, I really don't know to this day if other disc golf companies do it the same way we do. They probably don't because we did it as cheap as possible. Like it, it, we did have a lot more delays in time because we were doing it as cheap as possible because we were college students. I mean, we didn't yeah. have the hundreds of thousands of dollars of capital that these big disc golf companies have. And so like they might be able to just do one prototype and, and build the steel piece for it, which is pretty expensive and they can just scrap it after if it doesn't work. But we don't have the luxury of having that kind of money. So we had to do that like prototyping. We would have to wait for our pieces to come back and then resend it back so it was honestly just kind of trial and error um luckily like i said my business partner jim was in engineering so he kind of knew a little bit about the process but i mean we didn't know nearly as much as we know now after being in the industry for two years yeah i mean i bet a lot of that just comes from experience and trial and error i think is a great way to learn learning from your mistakes is always a way to make sure that you never forget um so i think that is that's a great way to go but i'm that's just i'm amazed that you guys are able to just figure all that stuff out because I mean, it seems like there's a ton of moving parts there. Um, and it definitely would have taken some time for me or really anybody else to figure out, I think. So I think that's super dope. Um, so now, um, oh, I also wanted to ask you about, so you said there were some um, regulations with um, like disc golf in general. And I would imagine that makes sense just with any sports, you've got your regulations with like your baseball bats and whatever. Um, so how were you able to first navigate those? Did you, are they pretty regularly available online? Did you have to go out of your way to like figure out how to comply with all of those or how did that look? 
Yeah, so that's a good question because they so they do have a like a it's called the PDGA, the Pro Disc Golf Association. Um, they do have like standards and guidelines on their website for new discs that are going to be manufactured. And this was one of the biggest hurdles is they have a weight restriction. So it's mm -hmm. like I don't remember the math. It's like you multiply the diameter in centimeters times like twenty something, and that's how you get the weight in grams that you can have. So, and I think it's a liability thing. I think it's if the discs are over a certain weight, like they can they're more likely to be a deadly weapon. So if you're playing in a state oh. park and you get hit in the neck with a, a disc, that's like three pounds, like that, that might do some damage. So yeah, <laughs> most discs are, are usually around like 21 centimeters in diameter. And that ends up being around 175 grams for max weight. So mm -hmm. that was one of the biggest problems we had when we first started manufacturing, we just kind of had to go back and forth with here's another unit in the disc golf manufacturing system. Um, we had to go back and forth with the plastics compounder until we got a custom plastic that let our discs be within regulation. So at first, a lot of our discs were over the weight limits and you literally, you can't use those in tournaments because they're deemed like deadly. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's very interesting. That's yeah. yeah. Wow. There's a lot to disc golf. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure there's a lot to, there's a, probably a lot more that like, like your baseball bat example, I'm sure there's a lot more than you or I know about what goes into making a baseball bat and all the oh, regulations yes. and stuff like that. Oh yes. I am quite certain on that um all right so there's this statistic that i came across in the last week that i thought was very interesting and i wanted to hear a little bit about what you have to say on this so the statistic is that 72 percent of high school students reported that they wanted to start a business and i think it's pretty valuable when nearly three quarters of the high school population wants to start a business i think you got to touch on some of the downsides on starting your own venture so would you be able to talk about some of these sacrifices that you had to take on and any hardships that you ran into in particular starting this business oh yeah okay so definitely don't go in thinking that everything's going to be rosy and everything's going to work your way because <laughs> anything that can possibly work against you is going to work against you it's just mm -hmm. it's murphy's law anything that will go wrong will yep. go wrong it can go wrong will go wrong and yeah i mean that's just the hard truth and yeah, I mean, I don't want to discourage people from starting a business because it's probably one of the best and most like it's one of the most awesome learning experiences I've ever had in my entire life. But I'm it's sure. definitely not rosy all the way through. I mean, we've had so many things just like deadlines, like coming up last minute, freaking out, trying to make sure we push through it. There's a mm. lot of bad blood, not bad. Blo actually, yeah, bad blood with some some of our contacts before, like some of the manufacturing facilities we we're thinking about working with just kind of ended up screwing us just because we we're kind of a small operation. Mm. Um yeah. So, I mean, people, it's your business. At the end of the day, it's your business. People don't want, people just want money. They're, they don't want your business to succeed necessarily. Mm -hmm. Like these people building the the parts for us, they don't really care about us as a business. They don't want to see Arsenal discs thrive. They just mm -hmm. want, they always want their money. They want to send us our parts and that's the end of it. So it, it really comes down to, you really have to care about your business and then get all the loose ends tied up with all these different contacts. It, it might depend because we have a physical product. So there's quite a lot more that goes into it than if you were like, opening up an Amazon FBA business where you don't have to touch the products or anything like that. But mm -hmm. there's certainly hardships in every business you're going to start. So just be mentally prepared to be, ju to jump over those hurdles. And as long as you're passionate, like we said before, you can push through if you really love what you're doing. I think that's really one of the things that you said that I think is really valuable is that you have to be passionate about it and you have to care because if you don't, nobody else will. And I think throughout high school, there's sort of this handholding mentality of like your teachers aren't going to let you miss deadlines. They're going to remind you of everything. But in the business world, when you're starting something, there's not going to be holding your hand. 
And I think that's a big hurdle that a lot of people, especially high school students, need to get past. They need to realize that starting a business isn't just saying that you have a business, putting entrepreneur in your Instagram bio and just going about your life. Like there's a lot more to it and nobody's going to hold your hand and guide you along the way. Like you said, you've been having all these experiences that have been teaching you everything and you didn't really have somebody to just like show you all the ropes. So it's really important, especially as young as high school, to just keep in mind that you got to care about this because nobody, nobody is going to be there holding your hand. Nobody's going to make, sh make sure that you, you're going to succeed. Like it, it has to be you and it really does just come down to you. Um, so now that we've hopefully scared all of our listeners out of growing, uh, out of going out on their own, um, can you talk about some of the bigger successes that you have come across some of your like proudest moments or just things that have happened that have made uh, a really good positive impact on you? Yeah, definitely. So I guess our initial thing, this is before we even had discs in hand, we launched a pretty elaborate Kickstarter campaign mm. um, just to get support for our discs. And this is before anyone's felt the physical product. And we got, we actually got 10 grand in funding. Wow. So, yeah, it was amazing that like that many people were, the, the community was just so supportive. It was just amazing seeing people all want to support us, all wanting to see us succeed. But I think the number one memorable moment in Arsenal Discs history is when those first discs came out of the injection molding mm -hmm. machine and they were and they were awesome and like that was the best feeling ever that like we for it was it took almost it was over a year before then like when we started when we actually the first phone call till we actually had a disc in hand and that was just the best wow. feeling ever that's i mean that's gotta be momentous especially when you're creating an actual product i would imagine like once you actually like have the product in hand that's got to be a huge huge milestone um I'm really interested. I didn't know that you guys actually got funding from Kickstarter, so I'm very interested in hearing a little bit more about that. Um, could you talk about sort of what went into your Kickstarter campaign um, and just how that looked? Because I'm very curious. I've never had any experience with uh, crowdfunding at all. Yeah. So, I mean, we kind of just did uh, copy what other successful people were doing on Kickstarter. So we're like, mm -hmm. okay, obviously you need a flashy, nice product. Most of the products had really long descriptions. So we made sure we put like as much information as possible about our company, what we we're trying to do what our goals are moving forward. And then we had a pretty nice professionally done video. Um, we did pay, we did pay to have the video done. That was the one expense, but then most of it was marketing through social media. So Facebook groups are super, super powerful, especially for disc golf. Cause every little regional area, like wherever you are, wherever I am, there's probably a disc golf group that operates in that area. Huh. So we, we were marketing to like over 300 different, uh, disc golf groups. Um, that's just on Facebook alone. And then not to mention like our website, our Twitter, Instagram, like everything else. So I think, I think social media was a huge, huge part in it. And then obviously just word of mouth, like people are excited about this new young brand uh, coming onto the market. Cool. 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 Yeah. Cool. That's, that sounds amazing. Um, yeah. yeah, I've always, I've always been curious about Kickstarter and crowdfunding, but I've never, um, really had a reason to dive deeper in that, but I'm, I'm interested. That sounds like a really cool experience. Yeah. Um, one thing I'd like to add, well, the one dark side of Kickstarter is that now you have a deadline and you have to deliver. So that was really scary for us because like all these people were supporting us waiting for our disc to come. And we're like going through, like I said, all that stuff in the background, like all the prototyping, all the getting our molds shipped to the manufacturing facility. And so it's just scary. Like you're always pushing up against deadlines and it is, it is scary, especially when you have hundreds of people relying on you. So it's not just you and your business partner or you and yourself anymore, like trying to make this business work. It's, it's a bunch of people who gave you money expecting you to deliver a product that's the only downside yeah i mean that's that's big especially yeah when any outside money starts coming in that is when stuff gets gets tight because you really got to focus on delivering to those people who are putting money in or else yeah shit's gonna hit the fan very quickly yeah 
Um, so looking to the future, where do you see Arsenal Discs going maybe over the next, I don't know, it's been going for about two years now, so let's say over the next like three years. Um, any potential partnerships or big milestones that you guys have coming or just where do you see the company going in the near future? Yeah, definitely. So we actually just switched manufacturing facilities. So this is just another blip in the story. Um, <laughs> like, you, like we've been talking about, nothing ever runs smooth. So it just didn't quite work out with our last manufacturing facility. We weren't quite as big as our other clients so that we didn't feel that they were giving us enough attention. So mm -hmm. when like a disc golf company is competing with the military and hospitals around <laughs> New England, it's kind of tough for them to give us like one on, that one-on-one -on -one attention that we'd, we really need. Mm -hmm. um, so we ended up moving facilities. And so sometime in the next month, actually, we're going to be launching our second big release of uh, new discs with new plastic um, out of our new facility. So that's we're really excited for that. Um, the first batch that we made, so that basically we just did batching. That's what we have the money for right now. Um, we made like 3,000 discs. Most of those were sold directly to the consumer, and they had like a special first run stamp on them. Uh, but so now we're just making like regular discs, not first run. These are just our our typical disc lines and we're going to be selling them to what are called pro shops. So those are like your retail shops specifically for disc golf. Hmm. And we have All like right. a, we have a over 300 contacts at different pro shops that we're going to be reaching out to. So now we're going to be like all around the country in your, in your retail shop in your area. It won't just be like, you have to come to our website and purchase it. So that's wow. what's coming out in the next few months. That's pretty big in terms of like partnerships. We do have one that I can't disclose, but it's going to be hmm. a partnership with a kind of like a, a tournament that runs so we'd be like sponsoring the tournament providing discs and doing stuff like that um so we have some other partnerships with some video and some photography people um and those have worked out really well because i mean i'm not a photographer or videographer but you need that stuff for marketing like you need your disc to look cool you need videos of people throwing your discs playing with them um so those are really important and i guess we're just trying to build more partnerships as we go down the road it's not typical for manufacturers to have partnerships with other manufacturers. Um, so we don't really have any of those types of things going on, but yeah, I guess with like tournament directors, with videographers, photographers, um, those are most of the main partnerships we're going after for 2018 and beyond. Cool. I mean, that sounds like a really big leap to get into like retail locations. Um, how, how were you able to make those connections? Did you just sort of like cold call these retailers and be like, Hey, I'm a manufacturer. I'd like to get my discs in your store. Or how did that go? Yeah, it was mostly cold calling, cold emailing. A lot of them, a lot of the bigger ones, especially that we were kind of worried, like hopefully they let us in. We'd send them a disc so they know the quality that they're getting. Then they, like hopefully they like the look of the disc because we have pretty cool, custom, unique stamps um, mm -hmm. on the discs. So yeah, it was kind of just buttering them up with a with a free disc, just showing them what we got. Um, but yeah, most of the time it was just cold emailing. I mean, we did have some, like I said, I've been active in this community for almost like 15 years now. Um, so I, I do have a lot of connections with people mostly around the new England area where I'm located. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we reached out to people as far as we have like a manufacturer in Australia who's waiting on our discs. Wow. I Dang, mean, sorry, not a manufacturer. We have a retail store. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Store, yeah. Um, all right. So now that we've got your story, um, I'm going to ask you some more like tactical questions and questions that I think could more directly, um, benefit our listeners. Now that they have a better understanding of who you are and what you do. So first off, if you could say one thing to an 18-year-old listener right now who has dreams of starting their own business, what would that be? All right. Three, three words is just do it because you have so, so little to lose at 18. Um, I mean, you probably mm -hmm. don't have much money. Uh, you're probably living with your parents it's, if you're fortunate enough. I know some people aren't, but you just have so much room to fail. Like Honestly, if you're working on this business for like three or four years and you're like 22 and it fails, 
your parents are probably still going to let you live with them. And even if you just crash and your business goes bankrupt, like you can crash and burn as much as you can when you're 18 before you have like a family and before you have a mortgage payment and a fancy car, like just make the mistakes while you're young and it will just pay you heaps of rewards later in life. And you'll be able to start a better business maybe next time if your first one fails, or maybe if you're lucky, you'll start a business that can support your life and you may, might not even need that W2 job. I am so with you there. I mean, I think people just like, they get in their own heads and they, they forget that the stakes are so low when you're a young person and you don't have all these obligations and there's just, there's so much room for you to fail. And the faster you can fail and the faster you can learn from that, I think there's just so much opportunity to just take advantage of every opportunity as a young person and learn from them all. Because even if you fail, which you probably will, you're going to learn a ton from it if you are in the right mindset. Um, so I think that's a very, very valuable piece of information. And yeah. I think and one more thing just about being young. So people are like, oh, I'm young. I Who am I to start a business? Because they're like, okay, these 40 and 50 year olds are the ones starting businesses. They have all yeah. the... They have all the expertise, but when you're young, you're in college, you're in high school, you have one of the big, you have access to one of the biggest networks you're ever going to have in your whole life. Oh, like so when you're in high school, you have might even if it's a small high school, you have a few hundred kids that know your name. Like you have, you might have them as friends on Facebook. They follow you on Instagram. You already have a following right there. If you're teaching them something or delivering something that they might be interested in, you already have an audience. And as opposed to when you're starting at 40, maybe you have a family, you have a handful of friends, but it's a lot harder to build that community. And when you're young, you you just kind of inherently have that community from being surrounded by people in school all the time. And you're tech savvy, which is another big plus. <laughs> yep. I, like, most people our age, everyone knows how to use Instagram and Twitter and all the apps like that and like and make Pinterest pins and stuff like that. And people in their 40s and 50s like really struggle learning new technology sometimes. I mean, it's definitely a, definitely a learning curve just because we're, we've grown up with it. We grow, grew up poking mm. around on iPads and we were... In not in diapers, they weren't around yeah. back when I was in diapers, but you know what I'm saying? Like people nowadays, you see two-year-olds swiping through phones. It is yep. an inherent advantage that people in our generation have. That's so true. And I think not only do you have a wide network of people to potentially market to, but you also have a wide network of people to potentially work with. Because I mean, like you said, you uh, met your business partner back in school. Um, so I think there's, there's just such a wide range, even if you're in a small high school, like you said, there's there's at least a couple hundred people with a wide variety of skills that um, could potentially benefit whatever you're doing. Like you said, you knew an engineer, maybe you know somebody who's good at marketing, maybe you know somebody who's good at computer programming. Like you, you've got to take advantage of this wide network of people that you have available to you because, I mean, once you graduate from college, it's just going to be a lot harder to meet people with these certain skills that you just already are like friends with or like at least familiar with. So I think that's I think that's very very valuable, definitely. Um, and okay, so if you could go back and do one thing differently when you actually started Arsenal Discs, um, what what would that be? What what change would you do differently? Um, I think oh, it's so hard because I would say do more research before we started things. But mm -hmm. if you do more research, then you kind of get into that analysis paralysis, and then you might yeah. not do anything at all. So I'm kind of glad we just jumped in and made a bunch of mistakes because they weren't too too costly. Maybe we could have like formed a partnership with a bigger manufacturing company until we got our legs under us and like just didn't put any of our own money in. So my business partner and I put in not too much money, but a decent amount of money that we saved up from internships and working and stuff. Mm -hmm. it, it was our own money. Um, but we might have been able to do it for free if, we, say, we linked up with a big manufacturer and did like a 50% profit share or something. And we just, we used their facilities, but we like engineered the discs. Maybe we would have mm -hmm. done something like that. That would, that would have been a... 
I guess, less risky decision, but yeah. I'm generally happy with the direction the company's going in right now. Cool. Yeah. And I mean, that is, that is good to learn on your own as well, but there can be some definitely advantages to going through like a partnership route where you do some, um, you, you use somebody else's resources in order to just like figure out what's going on before your, your own money's on the line. Yeah. Um, so I think that could be a good way to go for some of our listeners as well. So more on the tactical side, how did slash how do you market Arsenal discs? And is social media marketing a big factor for you? Yes. So like I mentioned before, social media is huge, especially like the Facebook groups and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Those are pretty big. And Facebook ads are, are pretty successful in my uh, experience. Yeah, in my experience. And we've been we've been pretty successful when we launch a new product and we have a new deal promoting it using a Facebook ad. Um, I did take like a course on Facebook ads. I'd suggest doing a little bit of research before you just like click boost post and spend yeah, like yeah, yeah. $100 because Facebook ads are a little more technical than people might think they are, um, like finding your target audience and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it's been pretty instrumental in the growth of our brand. And just like, like I said, some of those partnerships with like tournament directors and getting our discs in people's hands. So if you have a tournament director who gives out all of your discs in the prize packs at the end of the tournament, like that's awesome. Now everyone has a, has one of your discs. If they like them, then you have a customer. And if they continue to buy, then you have a repeat customer for life. So it's just, it's just forming those partnerships and alliances. Obviously, if it was just me, we didn't have a social media pres presence and we just had a bunch of discs sitting in a shed and I'm going around trying to sell them, it's going to be a lot harder. So just leveraging the internet and just reaching as many people as possible, telling them about your product is super, super important in any business. Cool. Is Facebook your biggest avenue? Do you guys use Instagram, Twitter at all? Yeah, we do use Instagram and Twitter. Instagram, like I'm, I'm sure you know, has link blocking built in. So you can't like embed a link into your Instagram yeah, uh, description, unfortunately. Um, Twitter's pretty big too, but we definitely have a bigger following on Facebook. Most of our website traffic comes from Facebook. Okay. Cool. Um, what would you say in your experience has been the split in terms of your like tactical nitty gritty stuff, like sort of like the day to day stuff um, versus your like big picture work that you do on the business? So basically working in the business versus working on the business. Okay. I mean, I think since we're still a relatively new company, I'd say like 75 nitty gritty, 25 big picture, just because like those first two years, I'm sure you've heard other entrepreneurs say those first two years are the hardest. You might not be profitable. You're doing a lot of the work yourself. Cause I mean, we, we quite frankly don't have the money to just outsource every little thing, like outsource yeah. our social media, outsource every email response that we get, like all that, all that little stuff for like, yeah, it's just, it is a lot of work and you really have to get that nitty gritty right in those first few years and then build your systems in place. And then once you kind of get those systems rolling, then you can focus more on the big picture stuff. And once you have the revenue, you can outsource nitty gritty. But as of right now, it's probably 75, 25 with nitty gritty being the larger portion. Okay. I'd say that, I'd say that makes sense, especially yeah, since you guys are relatively new in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, what does your R and D process look like? So do you just like go out? I mean, obviously you said, um, you've got to meet all these requirements. You've got to meet all these, um, these specifications, but, um, do you, what does that really look like? Do you guys order some and do you, do you, do you actually toss them around before you, um, commit to anything or how does that look? Oh yeah. So definitely. So that, that's huge. We, we do toss them around a lot before we do anything. Cause I mean, that is ultimately their only purpose is exactly. to be tossed around <laughs> They They have no value if they're not good at being tossed around. So we do a lot of like field work every time we get samples back. 
Um, the first few, to be honest, were pretty awful. Uh, <laughs> when we started out, I mean, we had no idea what we were doing. Like the the edges were like razor sharp, and like the underneath didn't feel good. And we're like, oh crap! So back to the drawing board. But I mean, after like maybe four or five iterations, we had like what we thought was the perfect disc for what we were trying to design. Um, cool. So yeah, mostly just go to the drawing board, get these samples back, throw them around in a field, and we did like. We'd do like variation, like and we'd, we'd have an Excel worksheet, like how far did it go? How far left to right did it go? Um, oh. A lot of stuff like that. And then we'd, we'd kind of tweak, well, I wouldn't tweak my engineer friend, Jim, because <laughs> I have no, I would have no idea how to, how to make the changes to make what we're trying to work, work. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so then once we, once we were happy with it, like I said, then we'd order the big steel block and you can't really go back after you order yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine so. Um, how did you find the first manufacturer for your disc? Like, did you just sort of do a Google search? Did you have any connections that could sort of point you in the right direction? Or how did that work? Yeah, so I mean, most of it was Google search. We did have a few like references, but I mean, just to give you an idea of how many people we had to reach out to for the molds, like so the steel block, we reached out to almost, it was a little less than 70 mold manufacturers. Wow. Uh, for the actual manufacturing of the disc, we reached out to, it was about ballpark 50 companies. And then for the prototyping, it was 30 companies. So it was a lot, a lot of reaching out. It was like 150 companies total that we either had email or a call with wow. before we made any moves paying them money. <laughs> I mean, you got to do your due diligence, but yeah, that is, that seems like a lot of just back and forth and just, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, I mean, it was really a lot of work and I, we just had to grind through it because we really wanted to get this done and we were just so motivated, so passionate. Like I mentioned before that mm. that's like the catalyst behind everything, just the passion. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I can hear it in your voice. Like it, it does show and I, I can definitely, definitely can feel that you are very passionate about this. Um, so personally, I know very little about um, disc golf and what makes a good disc. So can you just give me and our listeners who aren't super disc golf familiar, um, just some context on what actually makes a good disc. Yeah. So, I mean, discs have a lot of different purposes. It's just like golf where you have a wedge, you have a driver, you have a putter. In disc golf, you have putters, mid-ranges, and drivers. Those are basically the three big groups. And so, but you have drivers for different scenarios. Like say you're the pin, that's the thing you're throwing at, is way up to the left. You need a driver that's going to stay the course, like stay pretty straight and then veer off left at the end. Or maybe you have a, the pin is pretty far out into the right. You need a disc that's going to kind of hang that right glide for you. Mm. Um, so there is, it's not like one disc is the best disc. There's discs for every single scenario. But so like, say we want to build a disc that has like a perfect S curve. And so discs with a nice S curve tend to go the farthest just because they're cutting on each plane. They hyzer and then they anhyzer is the technical term for it. Hmm. Um, so if we wanted to build a disc that has like the perfect S curve, we have to make sure that when we throw it, it has a nice hyzer and then it anhyzer and then it hyzers afterward. Or say we want a putter that's, there's a lot of disc golf terms, understable, meaning that if you throw it right-handed, backhanded, it's going to cut to the right. And so oh if we're designing a putter that needs to do that, then when we throw it, it should cut to the right. So it's basically just making sure that our discs are doing exactly what we designed them for. Wow. And okay. so obviously if we have a putter that we're marketing as this, this putter is super understable and it's like supposed to cut and hang right. And then someone throws it and it goes way left. Like that's a pretty crappy disc. And then we're going to be like, <laughs> yeah. what the hell is this? That's, yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I didn't realize that there were so many different like special discs that did certain things. I yes. yeah, definitely didn't know there's that much intricacy. 
to like the different kinds of discs. That's really cool. Um, all right, one more tactical question, and then we're going to head into some questions that I like to ask all of our guests on the show. But our last one is going to be, what is your favorite thing to work on in the business? And then what is your least favorite thing as well? Let's see. I think favorite is that kind of big picture stuff. Cause just like having this idea in your head and making it come to life. Like, I mean, it was pretty big picture just going from, I want to make discs to having a disc in our hand. It, like I said, it was yeah. over a year process and reaching out to probably over like 250 different people and different aspects of the business. So, um, I just think getting a big picture thing in your head and getting that done is one of the best feelings. Um, so that, that's probably what I like to focus on the most, but in order to get that done, you do have to do the little that you do have to do the little nitty gritty stuff unless you outsource it. But like mm-hmm. I said, we don't have the money for that. Um, least favorite, I think, is probably dealing with like negative people just in general. So whether it's a customer or whether it's a contact we're working with, like at one mm-hmm. of our facilities, um, yeah, it just it just kind of sucks. And like you expect you don't expect it, but like if you're a pretty good person generally, like you expect other people to be pretty good to you, but sometimes it yeah. just doesn't pan out like that. And so, yeah, we've definitely had some negative experiences. Like, of course, someone's going to complain about the discs and yeah. just you like a negative feedback or negative review. Yeah. And we've had negative contacts at different companies and just making our life really, really hard. And I guess that's probably my least favorite part of the business, but it's something that's out of my control. So I can't worry too much about it, I guess. That's fair. That's fair. That's a good way to think about it. All right, so now we're going to move into some questions that I like to ask all of our guests before we wrap it up. Uh, the first one is, how do you stay motivated? Okay, um, well, I think like we've been talking about this whole conversation, just my passion for disc golf, and I, I do play multiple times a week still, like with my friends, and I just love the sport. I really think it's it's great. It's you get fitness, you get mm-hmm. competitiveness. It's it's pretty cheap. Like it's it's a lot cheaper than playing regular golf. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I think just my passion for the sport, honestly, and that passion has been curated over the past 15 something years. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, when you've, when you've been doing it for that long, like it's, it's definitely, it's definitely a driving factor. Um, do you have any habits that have served you particularly well, whether that be in business or just in life overall? Yeah. So I think like blocking your time in terms of like, I'm going to do this from eight to nine, or I'm going to do this from 1030 to 1130 blocking my time and setting specific mini goals within those times has been really like successful for me anyway. So instead of like me sporadically answering emails throughout the day, like I'll block out an hour per day of just answering all my emails at once. And it kind of just makes me more efficient. Um, or just instead of like me just hopping around doing stuff, like if I'm working on a, like a blog post or working on doing a product update or something like that, and like I'm, I get a buzz on my phone, I just kind of ignore it. And I like to just kind of be in the zone for whatever I'm working on. So I think yeah. that's pretty important because just being all over the place, you just don't get as much done and it's lower quality work. I completely agree. I've definitely been trying to implement a lot more time blocking into my own scheduling just because I do, I, I see that a lot in that, if I'm trying to do everything at once, then the stuff that I do does not come out at the highest quality. Uh, and it's just, once you get in the zone, like you said, it's just easier to like keep going and keep in your rhythm of putting out good stuff and like creating good stuff. But if you're just trying to hop around and like answer an email and write a blog post and do all this different stuff at the same time, it's really hard to put it all out at good quality. So that's, that's really key. I, I like that as well. Um, uh, any, have there been any books that have had a huge impact on you again, whether that be business or just holistically in your life? 
Yeah. So the four hour work week was probably like mm-hmm. the catalyst in my life. Like I mentioned before, just, yeah, if you haven't read it, go check it out by Tim Ferriss. And it's, it's just about unlocking uh, like passive and semi-passive income, basically where you're not trading your time and money, time for money on a linear basis. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Cool. 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 Yeah. That, that book that was right after a rich dad, poor dad by Robert Kiyosaki. That's the second like business slash entrepreneurship slash like mindset related book that I ever read. Um, yeah. and now it's been really impactful. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of good stuff in there. So I'll link Definitely. it up in the show notes as well. Um, all right. So before we go, I want our listeners to have a quick chance to hear where they can follow up with you. So where can people find out more about you, about Arsenal Discs, and about just all the projects that you have going on right now? Yeah. So you can just go in on the website, arsenaldiscs.com and just hit me up on the contact form. Um, pretty quick to reply. I usually get back within like 24 hours to people. Um, like I said, doing the time blocking makes me a lot more efficient <laughs> answering all those at once. So yeah, just hit me up on there and you can check out the website and see all the new projects and see all of our discs and yeah, see what's going on there. And then are your social media handles just going to be at Arsenal Discs as well? So the social media is at Arsenal Discs DG. So disc golf DG. at Arsenal Discs DG. Cool. Yeah. So that's, that's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. All right. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Um, well, thank you very much for being on the show, Cody. I really do appreciate your time. Um, I got a ton out of this. I hope our listeners did as well. So um, I hope to have you on the show again soon. Um, But until next time, have a wonderful day. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Cody, thank you so much for being on the show. I really do appreciate your time. It was amazing to hear from you and I definitely learned a lot. It's got me inspired to go even harder on my current projects and to keep my eyes open to any future business opportunities that may come for me in college. It was really interesting to hear your experience about working with a business partner since I've never had any experience doing that before. So it does make me a lot more um, interested in getting involved with somebody in a future venture. Additionally, um, I really like how you brought up the four hour work week. Again, this podcast, I was sort of inspired to start this podcast by the Tim Ferriss show. So the fact that we're coming full circle there and talking about the four hour work week is pretty cool to me at least. Additionally, I learned a ton about the whole disc golf industry. I really had no idea there were that many back and forth steps. Obviously, I guess if you had more capital, like you said, you probably could have um, skipped a few of those or dumped some more money in and saved some time. But that's very interesting that there's so much back and forth going on there. I mean, I guess that does make sense with a physical product. I've never had to work with that before, but that is a very interesting experience that I learned from. And um, I really just got a ton of value out of this interview. So I'm going to go back and actually listen to it right now just to take some notes since I didn't really have time to do that while we were talking. So I'm going to head over and do that. I hope you guys enjoyed the show today. And for our money pun of the day, why was the bike pump so expensive? Inflation. Next week, we'll be kicking it off with another interview, this time with two guys who are running the biggest Instagram growth company in the United States. They grew this company from nothing to a six-figure business within six months. So I'm super stoked to talk with them. I'm sure they've got a ton to offer and they can really give us a leg up on how to grow our Instagrams because that's something that I'm focused on right now is growing the um, Instagram aspect of my personal brand. Before I was very focused on YouTube, now I'm moving to Instagram as well. Obviously, we've got the podcast as well. So I'm really trying to spread the gambit here and just get as much exposure as possible. So I think that'll be a really beneficial interview to stick around for. So that'll be next week, next Tuesday. 
Um, but if you can't wait until then for your next hit of financial literacy skills and content and entrepreneurship and personal finance, I have a ton of amazing free resources just for you. The first is my free online video lecture course called $100 and a smartphone completely free at applecreditor.com slash course. The next is just my YouTube channel, so that'll be youtube.com slash applecreditor. There you can find daily uploads on personal finance, entrepreneurship, and credit cards, all tailored to high school and college students. So if that sounds like you, be sure to check that out as well. Additionally, on my website, applecreditor.com, is where you can find the show notes for this episode. That'll be applecreditor.com slash 010, that'll be 010 or you can head over to youngsmartmoney.com to find those show notes as well. Anyways, guys, thank you very much for sticking around. But before I go, I do wanna challenge you to start something on your own. Start a little side project because Arsenal Discs really came from just the fact that Cody really enjoyed disc golf and had a really deep relationship with disc golf. And he was able to turn that passion, that relationship, into a business that is now bringing in serious revenue. So I wanna challenge you to look at what you enjoy, look at what you've been doing for a while, what, what you have personal ties to, what hobbies, what sports, what anything you just really enjoy and you've been doing for a while, and try to just take that up a notch. Try to take it, not, not even to a point where you're making money from that, but just to a point where you're maybe t looking at it from a different angle or um, teaching people about it, just like talking to your friends about what you enjoy. Because I think there's a ton of potential for people to start um, maybe maybe creating an income, but maybe just creating a project on something that you enjoy and something that you're gonna get a ton of value from and even give value to other people from. So I think, I think just starting something and just turning it up one notch from wherever you are right now to just one notch up I want to hear from you guys as well. I want to hear what you guys decide to turn up a notch. So be sure to shoot me an email, apple at applecreditor.com. Shoot me a DM on Instagram at applecreditorofficial. Um, any place you can find me, I really do want to hear from you guys because I love to hear what you guys have to say. It just, it, it makes me feel very fulfilled at what I'm doing and I'll always reply to you. I've never missed a single comment, a single Instagram DM. I reply to every single message I receive, so be sure to hit me up over there. Well guys, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes as well because again, I really do appreciate that feedback and I read all of it. Anyways, my name is Apple Crider and I will see you next week.